We're going to look at Leviticus chapter 6 and, uh, and verse number 12. Could we read that together? And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. Someone said every morning. I'd love to preach about that, but I'm not here to preach. And lay the burnt offering in order upon it. And he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. Never, never, never. Someone said never. Never. That'll preach right there. Never go out on the altar. All right. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. And uh, I'm thankful for the word of God this morning, aren't you? We depend on the word of God. I'm thankful that that God in his infinite wisdom looked down at the human condition and God understood that humanity uh, is highly corruptible. Uh, that's been evident from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. When God made them, he put them uh, in a beautiful garden. He put them in a, in a place where they had everything, not only that they needed, but they had everything that they could want. They had a beautiful environment. And yet man was corrupted uh, by Satan. And God, in his wisdom, knew that it was going to take more than just humans standing and saying, thus saith the Lord, and you having to take their word for it. But God said, no, 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 I'm going to give them my eternal word. I'm going to give them the, the living word that they can base their lives upon. And so I'm glad that I don't have to stand here today and, and give you uh, and try to convince you that I have a word from God that just came from me, but I can go to the word of God. How many know that I'll be judged as a minister of the gospel? I'll be judged by how I represent the word of God. And all of us will be judged according to God's word. And I'm thankful for that because it gives us a baseline where I don't have to wonder if someone is godly. I can know. I don't have to wonder if someone is of God. I can know based on the word of God. How many love the word of God this morning? And you're thankful for it. And so today, we're looking at the fire that burned upon the altar in the Old Testament. And, and there is so much imagery contained here. I, I love the Old Testament. Uh, and, and when you understand the types and the shadows of the Old Testament, it really brings the New Testament to life in a powerful way. In fact, I would even go so far as to say that a person can never fully understand the New Testament without having a working knowledge of the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament is a type, it's a picture, it's a foreshadowing of the New Testament, and it brings it to life. So many things, even, even our, our, our holiness is foreshadowed in the Old Testament. Righteousness is foreshadowed in the Old Testament. There's, there's really nothing in the New Testament that if you dig deeply, you cannot find it foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And I realize that by some of the things we're going to look at today, uh, we're going to get a little theological perhaps. We're going to be a little typological perhaps. And, uh, and I know that's not always my, my, uh, my particular teaching style. But I do believe that God's word, even though it's simple enough for a child to understand it, there are deep powerful, profound truths in the Word of God. 
And I, I know that we can look, you can take a particular scripture and you can, you can read uh, where the word of the Lord tells us to repent and be baptized, for example. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? So the gospel is straightforward, it's simple, it's easy to understand, but, the, but not to minimize. And, and this is where I, I fear sometimes that modern Christianity, not just Pentecostalism, but modern Christianity as a whole has sometimes lost sight of the fact uh, that the Bible is a profound and deep book that is worthy of deep study. It's worthy of more than just a casual look or just uh, barely scratching the surface. And that's why we have so many Christians who uh, their theology... Here's what most modern American Christians theologically boils down to. You want to know what it is? God is love. That's, that's the number one theology in the United States of America. Is that, and for many people, uh, that's all that they know about God. And that's about as deep as they ever bother to go into the word of God. But can I, can I just tell somebody today that God is love, but God is also just, he is righteous, he is holy. The Bible says that, the Bible refers to God and, and says to serve the Lord with fear and trembling. Because God is a righteous God. And so, and so we need to have a biblical worldview and a biblical understanding of God. How many know that if everybody had a biblical worldview, there would be no war? If everyone had a biblical worldview, I can give you the answer for peace, world peace. Everybody needs to turn to Jesus. That's the answer for world peace. We don't need another talk. We don't need another UN Council Commission. We need people to turn their hearts towards the Lord and allow God to transform them, to change them, that they can become more and more like a righteous, holy, loving, just God. And when people do that, there will be change in the world. And so that's really the answer that we need today. And so let's look at the altar for a minute before we look at fire. Uh, The altar, everyone said the altar, was always located at the front gate of of the tabernacle. And on that altar, countless thousands of lambs, goats, and bulls, and sometimes doves were sacrificed as a symbol or a type of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the difference being that the blood of Jesus actually atoned for the sins of mankind. In other words, the blood of Jesus actually paid the price for the sins of mankind. But the blood of bulls and lambs simply pushed back, it rolled back that judgment uh, for a short period of time. And modern Christians, especially here in America, really struggle to understand the enormous role that the altar played in the Old Testament. When you think of the, the and I don't want to be uh, uh, crass here, but when you think of the filthy, bloody, sacrificial role of the altar, it makes what we do at a modern altar seem very mild. But when we lay ourselves on a New Testament altar, God expects the same level of spiritual sacrifice that the priests made as they sacrificed the blood of goats and lambs unto the Lord. You know, really, even a modern altar needs to be a place of death to self. And sometimes death to self is not a pretty thing. It's not a beautiful thing. Death to self can be a very painful, emotional 
heart-wrenching experience. When you truly say, Lord, I want you to take my sins away from me. Lord, I want to change my ways. Lord, I want to be a new creature. Lord, I want to be right with you. There's going to be some death. There's going to be some things that happen on an altar that are very, very sometimes messy. That's why we, we often see, that's why there's no shame in weeping at an altar. There's no shame at coming, even for a, a, someone who's lived for God for 30 years. In fact, sometimes when we've lived for God a long time, we allow some sins to build up in our life that, we, that pride keeps us from dealing with. Is this okay? I'm just going to preach for a second here. Sometimes pride will keep long-time Christians from getting to an altar and saying, Lord, I sacrifice myself. I sacrifice my pride. I sacrifice my bad spirit. And, Lord, and sometimes even a long-time child of God needs to get in an altar and weep and say, Lord, remove this attitude from me. Take this from me God and you can't just do that and be beautiful and keep everything just right it's going to be messy sometimes it's going to be painful sometimes it's going in fact sometimes it's humiliating I was excited because on the new church website uh, I was I've been it takes just a little inside peek here it takes about five hours per sermon to get it on, on our, our church podcast site. It takes about five hours each, and we have about five up there. And, and the one that I just put on last night is Bishop Cole. When, when he preached, God punched the time clock, and he's ready to go to work. Isn't that a great title? God punched the time clock, and he's ready to go to work. And I was listening to him, and his entire message was a call, not to, not to unchurch people, but to church people to come and repent at an altar. You know what he was saying? I appreciate that message that he preached because he was telling us that every once in a while, even though we live in a New Testament age, we've got to get to an altar and we've got to sacrifice some things. Someone said, praise the Lord. And so when you understand, why am I saying all that? Because when you really think about it, we we here and far removed from animal sacrifice and far removed from a religion having anything to do with blood or burnt offerings. That's so far removed from our way of thinking. And uh, most of us here weren't raised in a Jewish culture or or even uh, familiar with the Jewish culture. And so we struggle to understand what really took place. But when you do, when you realize what happened on the altar of sacrifice, it changes the way you view the New Testament altar and the moment of repentance. And it's a powerful thing. And so the altar is another study for another day. But today I want to look at the fire that burned on that altar. In Hebrew, it's spelled E-S-H or Esh. And... Of its 370 mentions in the Bible, the altar is mentioned 370 times in the, in the Old Testament alone. None of those instances stray from its basic meaning of fire. Everyone said fire or esh. Or sometimes it's translated this way in the King James Version. Fire, burning, fiery, or hot. And the very first time that this word is mentioned is in Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 17. I believe that's going to be on the screen behind me, but if you have your Bibles, let's turn uh, to the beginning of, of, uh, of the book, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 
number 17. And could we read that together? And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. The pieces are mentioned there are literally the pieces of the sacrifice. And, uh, and that word burning is a, is a translation of the word fire. The verse is, is we've come in on the, the story of Abraham and uh, when he's still Abram. And here God is making a covenant with Abraham. How many are thankful for covenants of God? How many are thankful for God's promises today? And God promised, as you know, to make Abraham's descendants a great nation. Let's look at that for the sake of our Bible study, Genesis uh, 15 and 5. And the Lord brought Abraham forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And Abraham believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Look at your neighbor and say, He believed. Abraham heard the voice of God, and he believed, and he had faith that what God was telling him would be so. I don't want to belabor this, but can I just say, God has some promises for Apostolic Tabernacle and for you as a member of Apostolic Tabernacle. And sometimes I think that all God is waiting for is for us to count it unto ourselves for righteousness. We need to be able to say, Lord, I I receive that. I believe in revival. I believe that my family's going to be saved. I believe that you're going to do a great work. I'm trusting you for healing. I'm trusting you for the miraculous. And sometimes the only thing standing between us and the promise is our faith In God's promise. And so I'm thankful for God's promises today. And so to ratify that covenant uh, or to make that covenant official, so to speak, if you were to uh, one time I was I was working on closing my house and Sister Pender, you may not know it. She's a uh, a notary. uh, Is it licensed? Is that what they call it? You have to go to college for 10 or 12 years, something like that. It's a it's a big deal. And uh, she's a notary, and, and, uh, and they do that stamp. And, you know, not just anybody can do that. You can get in a lot of trouble if you fake one of those things. That's, that's, that's not a good thing to do. And so when it came to the things of God, sometimes God wants to have a, a, a ratification. He wants to put his stamp of approval on it. There needs to be something that happens that makes it official. And so in the Old Testament, it was sacrifice. And let's look at Genesis 15 and 9. And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he, this being Abraham, took unto him all of these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And so in other words, he, he literally cut these sacrifices into pieces and he scattered them. And, uh, and then later, the Bible says, during the night, God, now this is a powerful thing. I want you to understand. So here's this this scene. This was not a beautiful scene. I I don't want to candy coat this because when you do that, you you take away from what was really happening here. And I know for our Western minds, sometimes it's difficult to think of it. This was a messy scene. This was a a bloody scene where he he had scattered these sacrifices. And during the night, God himself appeared on the scene. And apparently God began to walk in the midst of these sacrifices. And God manifested, here's what I want you to notice, that God manifested himself as fire. Someone said fire. And so let's go back and look again at verse uh, Genesis 15 and 17. When the sun went down 
and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those places. That was the very presence of God as he came down in the midst of the sacrifice. Did you know that that's why you can understand in the New Testament when the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people to offer up the sacrifice of praise. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. And so when you begin to offer up the sacrifice of praise, when you come to God with a clean heart, with a repentant heart, with a pure heart, and you begin to praise God. God comes down in the midst of that praise. That's why it's so vital that we get together and lift up and exalt the name of Jesus because the presence of God will be ushered in when we offer up the sacrifice of praise. And there's so many more things that we could talk about there. And so the fire in the Old Testament, the fire that burned on the altar, represents the very presence of of God. How many are thankful for the presence of God? How many want to have God's presence in your life? And in this same text, God promises one more thing to Abraham. God said, Abraham, I'm giving to your descendants, I'm giving them the land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. This was an amazing promise. Can I just encourage a young person today? You can be encouraged that God gives great promises to his people. God has a big plan for your life. God has a great plan for your life. You don't have to settle for second best. You don't have to settle for subpar. God has great things in store for his people if we will trust him and if we will be, what's the word, what's the word that we think of when we think of Abraham? We will be faithful. God's promises are for faithful people. I, I had someone come to me one time uh, years ago. I, I had a, a person come to me. Their age doesn't matter. Uh, you, you can be young or old and get in all kinds of trouble. And I had a person come to me and, and they said, uh, uh, I, I don't understand why God gave me this promise, you know, 20 years ago, and I haven't seen it fulfilled in my life. And, uh, well, in, in that, I just happened to know his story. In the last 20 years, he had cheated on three different wives. And, 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 I said, and I said, well, hey, I'll tell you why you haven't seen the promise. You have not been faithful to God. He was trying to quote Abraham, and he wanted the promises of God. And I said, you know what you need to do if you want to see God's promises? You need to be faithful to the word of God. You need to get, oh, I wish someone would just preach with me for a minute here. Faithfulness is the key to unlocking the promises of God. There can be no promise without faithfulness. And so fire represents uh, the, the presence of God, and it's associated with the promises of God. And so uh, those early apostolic, those early Christians in the days of Jesus, uh, they knew the Old Testament. They memorized it. They literally, they would sow the word of God into their clothing. Did you know that they would do that? They would sow the word into their clothing. It would be that God's word in written form would literally be on their person at all times. Uh, even, even the vilest Pharisee, the very Pharisees that rejected Jesus and cried out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They could have quoted circles around us with the Old Testament. They could have quoted, and I'm talking, we're not talking scriptures like, uh, uh, you know, uh, for God so much loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We're talking, they could quote the law. They could quote Leviticus where Jesus said, and on the fourth score day of the seventh year and the ninth, and the ninth day of the third, seventh, and the sun and the seal. They could quote all, and, and he begat him and he begat him. They could quote those things. 
because it was so a part of them, and yet they were not right with God. But they would have understood immediately it, when, when fire would have been represented, when, when anyone would have spoken, if Jesus would have spoken of fire, to them it would have represented the, what? The presence of God and the promises of God. Everyone said presence and promise. Now, you can better understand how impacting it was for the Jews uh, on the day of Pentecost when uh, there appeared over their head, what does the Bible say? Cloven or split tongues like as of fire. So those cloven tongues that sat upon each of them on the day of Pentecost represented holy fire from the altar of God. This would have been a powerful image for everybody who was watching. They would have known exactly what this meant. And it represented the presence of God and it represented the fulfilled promise of God to his people. And that was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it was also just one more of hundreds of evidences that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. How many know that Jesus was God incarnate? Because it was Jesus who said to them, go and wait in Jerusalem until you be endued or filled with power from on high. It's exactly why John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water, but he that cometh after me shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with Fire. It represented the presence and the promise of God. This was no coincidence that God brought cloven tongues of fire to sit upon each of their head. God did that on purpose to let everybody who was skeptical, to let the doubters, to let the unbelievers, to let the Jewish uh, religiosity that were looking, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was miraculous, that this was of God, this was not of the devil, but that this was indeed the presence of Jehovah, the presence of Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and they knew it was undeniable. It was a powerful thing. How many know that God knows exactly what he's doing? God doesn't do anything on accident. No, he doesn't. And so that was a powerful display on the day of Pentecost. You know, John the Baptist was a Levite and his father, of course, was a Levite. He was a temple worker. We know that because the angel uh, uh, came uh, to Zacharias and, and, uh, and told him he's going to have a son and he doubted and, and he was working in the temple. He was in the house of God. When he doubted the, the voice of the angel. And, uh, and so we know that, uh, that this was a, a, a Levite family. And, and they, John the Baptist would have known the imagery and the impact of, care, of comparing uh, the works of Jesus to the presence and the power of God. So John the Baptist was really saying that this, this is God. This is God manifest in the flesh. And he's going to baptize you with the presence of God. And it's going to be a powerful thing. And so we, we apostolics, we talk a lot about fire, don't we? We sing about fire. Uh, we preach about fire. But what we really mean is that we simply want the promises and the presence of God in our midst. That's what we're talking about. When we sing about the fire, when we preach about the fire, we're saying we want the presence and the promise of God in our midst. And we want the fire of God's presence to burn on the altar of our hearts. And we pray that the fire will never, 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 never go out. So let's, let's look at Leviticus 6 and 13 again. 6 and 13, if you have your Bibles, it says, The fire shall ever or always be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. So obviously God was very concerned 
about this particular fire. God said, don't let this fire die. Uh, it was the consuming fire that constantly blazed uh, in the largest piece of furniture. Did you know that the brazen altar was the largest piece of furniture in the tabernacle? And on that fiery brazen altar, the cross of Calvary was uh, prefigured again and again, thousands of times a day, millions of times uh, throughout Israel's history. And so the Bible is very clear about what the source of that fire uh, was, where it came from. And we can find that in Leviticus 9 and 24. And there came a fire out from before the Lord. So the fire came from the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. So this fire literally came miraculously from God himself. This was, someone said, a holy fire. And God would not accept any other fire uh, other than, uh, than holy fire in that holy place. That's why it's so amazing that the two sons of Aaron, the first high priest of Israel, dared, how many remember this story, that they dared to enter the tabernacle one day using a different fire to worship God. And here's how Moses recorded that event, Leviticus 10 and verse number 1. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire, strange fire before the Lord which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord. So they were offering strange fire. And so then fire came from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. How many think that holiness is is important to God? Notice that word strange from the Hebrew word zur. Zur not only means foreign, uh, but it also means another. So a foreign fire, a strange fire, a foreign fire, or another fire. But it also means it uh, has tinges of, of a word that means loathsome, despised, immoral, or alienated. God will not accept immoral fire. Can you say praise the Lord? God just will not accept strange fire. To worship God, we must come to him in spirit and in truth. And we must come to him with the right spirit. And that is the Holy Spirit, God's spirit, which is often symbolized in the Bible. As fire. So the only spirit acceptable to God is the Holy Spirit, and the only truth acceptable to God is found in the warm, fiery pages of God's Word. Is anybody still with me this morning? I know we're digging a little deep. So I challenge us this morning here at Apostolic Tabernacle as we slip quickly into a new year and we slip into a new day, let's set our hearts ablaze with God's word as never before. As we go into 2014, let's ask God to make our hearts more fervent, more fire-filled, and more full of his spirit than it has ever been before. When Paul commanded the Christians to be fervent, someone said fervent, in spirit in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 11, he used it, that word fervent is a very interesting word. It's a very unusual word in the Bible. And it literally means to boil Or to be hot. 
And so you need a heat source. If you're going to be a Christian that's boiling, that's hot, you need to have a heat source in your life. And it cannot come from within. That's humanism. And it can't come from without because that's, 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 it's not going to happen. It needs to come from the Spirit of God. Our God is a consuming fire. And if we want to be fervent as Paul instructed us to be, we have got to have a heat source constantly alive and burning in our lives or we will grow cold and complacent and indifferent and weak and powerless. Well, that's good teaching, Brother Ryan. Don't let the fire die. Have the fire always burning in the spiritual altar of your life. Whatever you've got to do. If you've got to pray, if you've got to fast, if you've got to come, if you've got to come to the church seven days a week and pray. I don't know what for everyone it may be something that you need to work on. Bible reading, get in an altar. If 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 it's if it's uh, coming into the presence of God and uh, and laying some things down, surrendering whatever it takes to keep the fire burning in your life. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. That's why we say things, you know, unfortunately, we don't mean to, but Christians, just like any religion, you know, people sometimes make fun of Christians, and I understand why they do it, because we have expressions like, be on fire for Jesus, and uh, and that sounds strange to people that don't understand what we've been talking about today, when we, when we talk about the fire being God's presence in our lives, and that sounds strange to people, but you know what, listen, you can go anywhere, and, and you can make fun of of the expressions that people use if you're not familiar. You just get around someone who really, really, really knows computers and you talk to them for a few minutes and they're going to have some expressions that sound a little strange to you. But can I just tell you, we really do need to be on fire for Jesus. We need to let God's word be burning in our lives. And if your embers are dying, run to a New Testament altar and get the Holy Ghost inside of you. Get a reef, get a good old, sometimes you've got to get a good old-fashioned refilling of the Holy Ghost. Or we might say a renewing of the Holy Ghost. And that will set that fire ablaze again. Notice that word, uh, that word strange from the Hebrew word zur. It's just a, it's just a powerful thing. And, uh, and I often think that there are so many things that, that we allow into our lives that are strange things. Amen? We need to be very careful about that. Because God wants us to lift up holy hands without wrath or dying. Now, now let me say this. I want to give a quick note. A quick, quick note. And uh, the Bible seems to indicate. Look with me again at, uh, at these young men. The sons of Aaron. The Bible seems to indicate that Nadab and Abihu were drunk when they offered that strange fire to God. You know, you wonder why, why would they do that? That seems like a, a, a strange thing to do. Wouldn't they know? They're sons of Aaron. Wouldn't they know that if they were to do this, that it was going to bring the wrath of God on them? And the answer is that they did know it when they were in their right minds. But when you're, but when you're intoxicated, you're not in your right mind. You lose your inhibitions. And so just a few verses earlier, here's how I know this. Just a few verses earlier, the Lord spoke to Aaron saying in that same chapter, do not drink strong wine nor strong drink. And then, he was, and then the Lord was clear. He said, you or your sons. So God anticipated. God in, an, in, in his infinite wisdom, he anticipated what was about to happen. 
God saw the danger, and these men died when they tried to worship God under the influence of something other than the Spirit of God. Another place in Scripture warns us against strong drink and immediately points us towards the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians 5.18. I believe it's behind me. Let's read it together. I don't know why I'm bumping up against the Spirit here, but I am. Ephesians 5.18. And be not drunk with, with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. How many know that, that we need to be teetotalers for Jesus? We need to, if, if we're going to be drunk, the only drunk we ever need to be is drunk in the Spirit. We need to get the new wine of the Spirit in our lives. And I don't know why I felt the Lord prompting me to read this, but the Bible teaches us that we need to guard our, guard our mind and guard our body. We're a temple of the Holy Ghost. And sometimes that means there are some things that I will not partake of because it may push me to strange fire. It may push me to do things. It may cause me to do things that I would. Did you know that people that when they, when they get in drugs and alcohol and addiction of all kinds, boy, why, Lord, help me right now. When they get in these things, it will cause them to do things that they would never do in their right mind. And then they wake up the next morning and they've beat their kids and they've been unfaithful to their wife and they've gambled all their money away and they would have never done that in their right mind. But they were playing with strange fire and they ruined their entire lives in one moment of pleasure. Just one moment. And that's exactly what the Bible, that's why over and over again the Bible warns us that don't be drunk with wine. Don't be, don't because it's excess and it will push you to strange fire. And that's a whole lesson for another day. And uh, I'm feeling in the spirit like we may need to do that sometime. Okay, so the altar in the scripture is always a place of fire. The word altar is found 402 times in the Old Testament. In the Jewish tabernacle, there were, there were two altars and... Um, I'd love to preach about that. A larger one made of brass, that's what we've been talking about, the, the, the brazen altar. And then there was a smaller one that was made of gold. And the one we've been talking about is the bigger one. And it was uh, on that particular altar, the brazen altar, that the fire was to never burn out. And the brazen altar, I want to just look at a little typology here. Can we dig a little deep? The brazen altar was made of wood as the frame, but then over that wood there was hammered brass. And so it looked like it was all brass, but there was wood underneath. And that's a picture or a type of Jesus in his humanity. Jesus was virgin born like wood grown from the ground. Isaiah said this about Jesus. Look at this. Isaiah uh, 53 and 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And so that wood, like a, like, a, like a plant that grew out of the ground, it was capped with brass. And brass is a type of judgment in the Bible. Jesus, on the cross, bore the wrath of God for the sin. How many love the typology of the old? Jesus bore the sins of all mankind in his own body. So here's what, again, what Isaiah said. He said, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. And afflicted, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of the person sitting beside me. <laughs> the iniquity of my, of my husband, or my wife, or my brother, or my son, bless the Lord. No, no, no. My iniquity, the iniquity of us all, everybody, he bore it in his own body. And so Jesus took our judgment for us on the cross, and he did it. Now, I want you to listen to this, and I'm going to show it to you in the scripture. 
and he did it through God's spirit. Remember that fire symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Hebrews 9.14. Hebrews 9.14. I want you to get this. Mark it in your Bible. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Praise the Lord. How many know that's the New Testament we were reading right there? Amen. All right, let me give us a quick note on, uh, and I'm coming to a close here, but I want to give you a quick note on quenching the spirit. Uh, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he said this, he said, quench not the spirit. And he used a verb uh, which means to extinguish like a fire, literally giving us the imagery of God's spirit burning like a fire. So the imagery here is that when you have the Holy Ghost, when God's Spirit is dwelling inside of you, there's that, there's that fire on the altar of your life that's, that's constantly burning. And you can do things to, now this is, I'm in the Bible right now, you can do things to extinguish that flame in your life. Or you can do things to cause that flame to burn brighter in your life. And so Paul was being very careful to instruct the church, don't do anything that would extinguish or quench that flame. It's that same uh, Greek word that, that uh, Paul uses later when he says that, that put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? To quench the fiery darts of the enemy. So the, the imagery being there that, that the enemy is throwing darts at you, but not just any old darts. He's throwing darts that are on fire. What, a, what an amazing imagery that is. And, and he's saying that if you put on the whole armor of God, you can extinguish the flame before the dart even gets near you. You can extinguish that, that fire, that flaming dart that's coming. And so he said, but in the same regard, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, you need to work very hard not to quench that spirit. I don't know about you, but I want to do everything that I can to put another log on the fire, to get it burning, throw some gasoline. Don't throw water in a church service. You know what doubt does? You know what bitterness does? It extinguishes the flame of the Holy Ghost. You know what sin does? You know what rebellion does? You know what complacency does? It extinguishes or quenches the spirit. But faith and joy and peace and praise and righteousness, all of the prayer and Bible reading and fasting and coming together and coming together in the house of God, obedience and faithfulness, all of those things cause the spirit to burn brightly and powerfully in your life. And so we need to be very careful not to allow things to extinguish. Even in a church service, we need to be careful. I know in Pentecost we're, we're a little more, uh, you know, we're not as uh, uh, liturgical as some churches would be. We, we jump, we clap, we shout. We, you know, I, I went to a, uh, a Catholic wedding one time. I'm not trying to be mean, but I mean, you could hear a pin drop. It was so quiet. Everything was so liturgical and, and, and quiet. And uh, how many know we're not exactly like that uh, at Apostolic Tabernacle? We get excited sometimes. But we have to be careful not to allow things in a church service. Sometimes the Spirit is trying to get a hold of somebody. And if we're, if we're talking, if we're being distracted, if we're, if, we're, if we're in another world, we can quench what God is trying to do in a church service. Is this okay? All right, this is the last thing I'm going to say in closing. I'm going to take you to Revelation. So we went from the beginning of the book to the back of the book. Let's look at Revelation 3 and 15. I know thy works. This is God speaking to the church. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. 
So that then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That's powerful words from God, isn't it? He's talking to a church that's lukewarm. And so the book of Revelations, this scripture shows us that it's not, it's not enough to just be on fire, but we need to be red hot because God hates a lukewarm church. Can I just tell you, we need to do everything that we can to be red hot on fire. I want the Holy Ghost shut up in my bones. I want it to be like, like uh, the prophet said, like fire shut up in my bones. You know, you know, the imagery, if you ever, uh, if, if you get, if you touch a hot flame and I'm closing, if you touch a hot flame or if you come into contact with the direct heat of a fire, you're going to jump. You're going to react to that, aren't you? Because, because the fire's hot. Hey, listen, every once in a while when the Holy Ghost starts moving, you can't help but lift your hands and get excited. You might dance a little in the spirit. You know why? Because you've come into contact with something that is red hot. It's burning. And you begin to react to the presence and the fire and the power of God. Oh, praise the Lord. Stand with me. We're closing right now. Let's lift up our hands. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray you'd pour out the Holy Ghost in these last days like never before. I pray that apostolic church would be an on-fire church, that we would not be, God forbid, a lukewarm church, Lord, because we want your presence, we want your promises, we want everything you have for us, God. We desire it, Lord. We praise you, we magnify you, we glorify you. Thank you for your presence, thank you for your goodness, and thank you for these precious people. In the name of Jesus. Clap your hands to the Lord one more time. Amen.